Good morning. And welcome to worship at First United Methodist Church. It's great to see all of you gathered here today and know that there are many of you watching us online. If you would, uh, those online, leave a comment. And those in person, grab your pew pad. And you're really going to want to grab your pew pad today because we begin March Madness. First of all, sign in and then take your tally sheet. We have, we're starting with 16 favorite worship songs and hymns. And we're going to narrow it down to eight. So you get to pick your bracket and see where things end up and place that in the offering plate later in the service. So this week we're going from 16, uh, 16 to 8 and then we'll keep every week. And the top song will be announced on Easter and this summer. We will have a sermon series based on the top four. Any questions? Okay, you must be present to participate, so I'm glad you're here today to vote. Also, I hope you picked up a weekly sheet. Uh, make note that the United Women in Faith luncheon is coming up next Monday, and be sure to make reservations for that. Let us prepare ourselves for worship with prayer. Heavenly Father, you are merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You do not deal with us according to our sins, but deal with us in grace and love. And as we come to you today, God, we pray that your grace and love be poured out upon us so that we might know your forgiveness and be renewed. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand and join us in worship. Every chain will break. 
have a praise report and um, just the ask of the congregation today. So Catherine Barnes has been organizing uh, confirmation classes, and we as a staff are preparing for uh, confirmands, which is a time when students of the church learn about what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to be a member of the church and our Wesleyan heritage, and they make a commitment of, of faith or have the opportunity to make a commitment of faith at the end of the class. We have 15 students signed up for confirmation class this year, which is awesome. But that means as part of the process, we need 15 mentors to lead them, and especially women. So if God is calling you to lead in this confirmation class, there is information in the Narthex and the Chestnut Street lobby about how you will do that, what is required of you. Uh, please consider this. We really, the students of this church really need you. Uh, and as part of our prayer time today, we're going to, and across this confirmation season, we're going to be praying for these students by name. And you're going to have, I'm going to ask you and have the opportunity to continue to pray for these as they seek God and seek if it is his timing in their lives to make that confirmation of their faith in Christ. So uh, as we prepare for our time of prayer and our morning offering, let us bow together. Heavenly Father, you are a good father, and it is a blessing to be in your house of worship today to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ, to celebrate your goodness, to look at the story of the next window in our series, to sing, to smile, to rest in your presence. We're thankful for this opportunity of Sabbath. And we're thankful for your abundant blessings, praying that you continue to bless us, bless this church, our community, and our world. Forgive us our sins and draw us closer in discipleship. And as our students make that a journey of discipleship through confirmation, which starts this week, we want to lift them up by name, praying that your Holy Spirit would be with them and all who lead in this season of confirmation. We lift up to you Sarah and Sarah Kate and Emily and Haley and Lydia and Miko and Merritt, Anna Kate, Kennedy, Jade, Maggie, Iris, Ava, Jace, and Maddie. Work in these students' lives and guide them by your Holy Spirit. Not only pour out your blessings upon them, but on this offering that we're about to receive, may you multiply it and guide us in its use so that more people might know your grace and your love. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If the ushers will come forward, we will worship God with our morning offering. Bowing knees 
For our Word for the Window series, we are looking at the Sermon on the Mount, which can be found off the narthex in the acolyte room, the old bride's room, the spiritual council room, or some of you may call it the old Williams parlor. It is the window which is facing Chestnut Street and is given in memory of a beloved teacher from First United Methodist Church, and that is Rena Hudson McCord. It was given by her Sunday school class and dedicated on her birthday on November 6, 1947. The window was part of the six that were installed in 1947 and created by stained glass artist Joseph Lorenz. Rena Hudson McCord was one of the founders of the women's study class later named in her honor. During the peak years of that Sunday school class, over 100 people were on roll. Described as a gentle and strong spirit, she had a, an impressive record of only 12 abs, I mean only two absences in her first 12 years of teaching. She taught for 22 years. She was the wife of attorney E.O. McCord and mother of four children. The window, the Sermon on the Mount, imagines Jesus teaching the masses in the Sea of Galilee region. Interestingly, you will find all kinds of folks in this stained glass window listening to Jesus, including Mary and Joseph, who are portrayed in the Jesus as child window, which is located in the same room. This image of art reminds us of Jesus as teacher and the lessons which he shared throughout his ministry. And now to the scripture which inspired the window. If you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter, verses 1 through 2. Matthew 5, 1 through 2. Hear the good news. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He then began to speak and taught them, saying, The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we look toward this beautiful piece of art and your word, I pray that the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing and acceptable unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Jesus' teachings were radical. Uh, if you don't believe me, just spend some time with the Sermon on the Mount. Take some time and read the 5th and 6th and 7th chapters of Matthew. These teachings make progressives uncomfortable and traditionalist conservative uncomfortable too. They're messages that challenge us in our discipleship and life of faith. In fact, I once had a colleague who quoted Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, and he made people in his congregation mad because they thought he was being too political. That's the power of the Sermon on the Mount. These are lessons which truly challenge us. Now, the scripture for today is just the introduction. There's too much meat in this entire sermon for us to cover on one particular Sunday. So what I'm going to look at is a survey of the teachings on the Sermon on the Mount. 
some of Jesus' most valuable lessons which applied to people 2,000 years ago and still apply to us today. So Jesus was leading the folks. He's ministry in the Galilee region, and the crowds are starting to follow him. They're getting larger and larger. So he takes an opportunity to teach and lead them. He goes up in a mountain where he can be heard well and stands at the top and the people gather a little bit lower listening to him teach. Now, these are people who are very different from us. They lived in a rural region occupied by Rome. They didn't have any of the technology we have today in not the same worldview, not the same rights. It was a completely different existence. But I believe you will find in hearing some of these lessons from Jesus, these are timeless lessons, which spoke to people in a rural culture 2,000 years ago and speak to us in our modern world in small town Alabama. These are timeless teachings which help us grow closer to Jesus and grow more like Jesus. These are lessons which help us strive for righteousness in our own lives. Now, some of these lessons are hard to swallow, but they make you think. They help you consider how to live like the Lord every day. So what are some of these lessons? Well, Jesus teaches us to deal with our enemies. Do you have people in your life that are hard to love? People that may oppose you, that it's hard to get along with. People that you feel like are undermining your every step. Maybe even people that you have a hard time liking. The people of Galilee did a long time ago too. But Jesus taught them, even though you have a hard time loving these people, you should love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. You are no more righteous than anyone else. After all, God sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. We should strive to be more like God. And it's hard to love these people. Someone who gets on your nerves, someone who opposes you, someone like you feel that's got it totally wrong. But Jesus says we're to be different because we are his followers. We're to show love and grace to these people because God has shown us grace. We should be more like God. But that's really hard to do, especially when these people don't learn and they're just getting on our nerves and we're just judging them more and more. In modeling God's relationship with us, we're tempted to say, these folks don't deserve God's love and God's grace. But then we remember some words from Paul from the book of Romans. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heat burning coals upon his head. Or other words from Paul from Ephesians, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. For some of you, there are situations that I don't know about where you have a hard time forgiving and letting go. Times when you are legitimately wronged and, and upset and you don't know how to get there. How do you get to that point where you can love somebody like Jesus? Well, that's often something that we can't do alone and we need Jesus to help us. And I found 
the best place to start is taking Jesus' advice and praying for that person. Just start praying. And it doesn't have to, and uh, let me back up. It doesn't need to be a prayer where you say, Jesus, smite that person. Or Jesus, let them have a bad day. That's not what I'm saying. That's not the prayer that Jesus wants you to pray. If you don't have words to say, just say, God bless so-and-so. God bless this person or that person. God bless them and God help me to be in relationship with them. That's where it starts. We just acknowledge we're having a hard time and let God do the work that we can't do. So what about money? Jesus talked about money. The people in the Galilee region had bills. They had taxes. They had to decide what they were spending their money on. Granted, they had a lot less and it was a hand-to-mouth existence, but they had to make choices. And obviously money was a big deal because Jesus talked about it a lot. Jesus said that we should not store up treasures on earth where they can be destroyed, but rather store up heavenly treasures which can't be touched. Jesus also adds that if your focus is on wealth, you cannot focus on God. Divided attention does not work like that. You can't serve God and wealth. Jesus teaches that things are fleeting and money disappears. Assets will not last forever. You can't take it with you. The latest phone or the newest car with one slip will end up demolished or destroyed. The can't lose investment can be gone with a crash or embezzlement or swindling. The have-to-have item in the moment will soon be replaced with another have-to-have item. Just ask someone who's lived through a fire or a natural disaster, and they will tell you that stuff can be replaced. You cannot take it with you. It is fleeting. Jesus is teaching that if you use your wealth, in ways that are lasting and kingdom-oriented, that it will be lasting. It will make a lasting difference. Your resources can change people's lives to love God and to love neighbor. This kind of useless resources will be blessed and will be lasting. What about judging people? What about noticing how others get it wrong? Just as we judge others... People in Galilee thousands of years ago judged people too. They pointed out their flaws just like we do. Jesus basically is saying here that you should not be looking at what other people have got wrong. Rather, you should mind your own business and look at yourself. He says, for the judgment you make will be judged and the measure you give will be the measure you get. Jesus reminds us, that instead of looking how others get it wrong, we should be looking at ourselves and how we should get it right. Pointing out how others get it wrong has become a hobby for some. We judge others because we think they've messed up, don't measure up, or have not reached some sort of standard that we have not determined, that we've determined. But we remember that we're not the ones who set the standard, God sets the standard. God is the judge, and God is the one who offers grace. This is the work of God, judgment, and we're not God. 
We can be busy being the judge and jury of others, and we neglect our own flaws and what we need to work on. It's funny because we spend so much time judging others, and the reality is we can't control what they're doing. And when we take no responsibility and willingness to change in our lives for what we can control, Jesus advises his followers to start with yourself first. Do not judge, for it is likely that you have no room to judge others. And what about worry? That's still relevant too. As people worried 2,000 years ago, so we worry today. Many of us are plagued with worry and anxiety, just as the people who heard Jesus' teaching. But Jesus teaches the birds don't worry and they are provided for. Worry can't add any time to your life and gives you no benefit. God knows, so trust God. He adds not to worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worry, trouble of its own. With Jesus' teachings, you are likely thinking, that's nice, Jesus. But these sentiments are easier taught than practiced. I once heard a wise saying which rings so true about worry. And I said this to Thursday night, uh, Thursday night worship, and they looked at me like I was crazy. So hopefully you understand this. The saying goes, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep a bird from landing on your head. Meaning you can keep the worry from landing on you. I come from worrying genetics. I often tease my parents that if they didn't have something to worry about, uh, that they would find something to worry about. And worry and anxiety has often been a struggle in my own life. I'm not where I need to be, but I'm a lot better than where I used to be. Perhaps the concern for me will always be there, but there's a time when we need to redirect our concern. We can shift our worry by taking Jesus' advice and focusing on the moment that is right in front of us instead of our future. We can leave the future to God. And what about the past? We can let the past be the past and give it to God and live in the moment. And if that doesn't work, I encourage you to take some advice from Paul and give thanks in all circumstances. Focus on what you're grateful for and you will find the anxiety and worry drifting away. What about acting upon what Jesus teaches? Jesus teaches a lot in the Sermon on the Mount. So what's the benefit? He says that if you put into practice what he teaches, it's a foundation for your life. Like a man who builds his house on a rock or a strong foundation. When the storms of life come, then the house stands firm. But if you don't put these teachings into practice, you're like someone who builds their house on shifting sand. And when the storm comes, it won't stand firm. It won't stand in the storms of life. And so it is with us. We're on a journey of discipleship, and I kind of think of these teachings like our exercise and going to the gym. If you start going to the gym, you're not going to be a super athlete with firm muscles and a good physique after one visit. It takes practice. It takes consistently going and doing and being. And so it is with Jesus' teaching. It takes practice in our lives. We have to lean into these teachings and remember them, study God's word, and put Jesus' words in practice. 
So I encourage you, over the next week, spend some time with the Sermon on the Mount. Look at these teachings and how they apply to your life. Spend some time in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. However, be careful as you look at the lessons not to think of them as a checklist. Like, if I get all these rights, I will be the A-plus Christian. Because that's not what it's about. It's about growing in faith and being more like Jesus. Because we don't arrive by our merits, but it is through the faith that we have in Jesus Christ that we arrive. Thanks be to God that it was a body given for broken people and blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Thanks be to God that Jesus not only taught his followers, but he laid down his life for his followers so that we might have abundant life and we might know love and grace. Would you pray with me in our liturgy of Holy Communion? The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, you made us in your image to love and be loved. And when we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. By the suffering, death, and resurrection of your only son, Jesus Christ, you delivered us from slavery to sin and death and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my body, my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one with Christ and one with each other and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your holy church. All honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Here at First United Methodist Church, we practice open communion, which means all people who seek to be in loving relationship with the Lord are invited to Christ's table. So you will be invited in a moment to come as the Holy Spirit leads. You will receive communion right here at the center aisle. And then if you would like, you can spend time at the communion rail in prayer. And then you may return to your seats. I would ask all who are serving and leading in worship to come and be served first.
You may come as the Holy Spirit leads.
have not already, remember that uh, your brackets for March Madness, if you came in late, they're in your pew pad. You'll want to mark those. If you didn't have a chance to put it in the offering plate, you can place it on the communion prayer after the service. Also, I ask that you prayerfully consider uh, being a confirmation mentor. Remember, information is available in the Narthex and the Chestnut Street lobby. So you won't want to miss next week as we see what the top eight hymns are, and you won't want to miss an opportunity to vote. And also, as we continue our sermon series, Word from the Window, and the next window we will be looking at is in the back of the sanctuary, Jesus blessing the children. And now if you would stand for the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace. Amen. Hear the people singing.